Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. To put us in the mood for Palm Sunday, the beginning of one of the holiest weeks of the year, just an incredible week where we remember some of the most amazing events that ever impacted human history. I want to tell you a story to get you in the mood for it, all right? So it's, we're going to go to, you're going to go to a karaoke bar with me and my wife. That's going to set the mood. We were at a karaoke bar with my brother and my sister-in-law celebrating my wife's birthday. And as people are going up to the karaoke bar, you know, you can kind of tell the, the, the kind of song or the genre they're going to choose by the way they look. Oh, definitely. That dude's a country guy. I can tell. It's just the spurs on his boots. For sure, country dude. You know, sleeves rolled up, tats, the hat pulled in. That's a country guy. You see the rapper. You're going to see, oh, okay, that woman, okay, that's definitely going to be, you know, that's going to be classic rock. Total classic rock person. Oh, no, Lady Gaga for sure. So we're waiting in line for my wife and my sister-in-law to get their chance at the mic, and this woman starts walking up to, for her turn. And I'm guess, trying to guess what's going to be her thing. Let me describe it to you. I want you to do a picture, a middle-aged woman from the Midwest in a muumuu. And she has got her muumuu on. She looks like a tourist because she's got her flip-flops on. And she's got this little dainty purse, not like a real workhorse purse to get stuff done, but like I'm on vacation, I got no cares in the world, little purse, kind of a thing. It's just casually slung over her shoulder, so she's in the muumuu and her sandals. She's yay tall, just cute as a button. And she walks up and gets her mic. I'm thinking, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? I don't know. I'm thinking, what, Neil Diamond? <laughs> I see the song hit the kiosk, G-Thing. By, uh, by Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre. <laughs> Not what I was expecting. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking, okay, you know, maybe she knows what she's doing. First line goes through, and she doesn't say a word. I'm like, oh, this is going to be one of those awkward Michael Scott office moments. It's going bad, and I'm feeling a little cringy inside. Second line hits, and she just starts spitting bars like a professional rapper. But she's just, just imagine this moo-moo mama with her hands clasping the mic, not even looking at the work. She's got it memorized, and she is just nailing it like this, like this, like that, and uh, I like this and like this. And the whole crowd is just deadpan quiet, like, are you kidding me right now? And then everyone's like just erupts and starts cheering her on and shouting, oh my God, everyone is going nuts because it was not what we expected. She comes up all sweet, and she just busts out some spicy, and we didn't see it coming. <laughs> you know, uh, there's a word for this. It's, it's, the, it's called paradox. Listen to this definition of paradox. A situation, a person, or thing that combines contradictory features and qualities. Mumu Mama, Snoop Dogg. Totally contradictory, not what you'd expect. And when you get a paradox, it can be kind of exciting because you assume, because you, got the, you see the sweet side of this paradox, you know what's coming. You assume, I know, it's going to be Neil Diamond. And it's really fun to get surprised by a paradox because you get this other side that you don't see coming. But paradoxes can also be kind of scary and they can be confusing because sometimes we get surprised in ways that we don't like. Because we think we know what's coming. And when we get surprised in a way we didn't expect, sometimes it can put us on edge. Now we're ready for 
Jesus. Ready? Chapter 21, verse 1. And as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Now, a colt, baby donkey. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Now, this took place to fulfill what was written through the prophet Zechariah hundreds of years before in the spirit, in prayer, gets a vision of God sending Israel, her king, to bring deliverance, but it doesn't look like what he or anyone is expecting. Listen to this. He predicts, Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, but gentle, riding on a donkey. And on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. Hence, Palm Sunday, you know, in other, other gospels, they were palm branches. So that's why, if you're wondering, why did Christians get so passionate about palms? Because it's a remembrance of this moment, this epic moment where Jesus comes to Jerusalem to do what the world has been waiting for for hundreds and thousands of years. The crowd is electrified, and there's dust kicked up in the air, and they're shouting, and everyone is pushing and pulling to get to the front of the crowd to see this man that everyone is talking about. And the crowd is shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna is a Hebrew word for save, save us now. So they're crying, save us, save us, deliver us. Son of David is a phrase that connects Jesus to David, who was a former king of Israel. And so when they say son of David, what they mean is king in the line of that great king David. So this moment is this moment that, gosh, they've been waiting for for so long. And when they look at Jesus, they're like, he's the one. He's the one who's going to do what we've been hoping for. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now watch verse 12. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers. And the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. That's, that's not actually what it was like. So it's dust is kicked up. It's loud. There's a lot of people. He doesn't have a mic. So he's shouting this out loud, my house. And he's shouting over the crowd to be heard, but also because of the zeal and the passion that's being stirred in his heart. My house will be called a house of prayer. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. Let me pause. Tonight, if you're in need of any kind of healing, physical, emotional healing, we're going to clear these couple rows out and we got prayer warriors coming in to pray for healing. So if you need prayer for healing, come tonight. Because on Palm Sunday, dude, we got to do this. We got to do this. Okay. But you know, we, we, we can't do that this morning. <laughs> 
<laughs> the children's services ministry is what will kill me. So, <laughs> But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did and the children shouting in the temple chorus, Hosanna to the son of David, they finally believed. No, that's not how it goes. They were indignant. They weren't so thrilled about Jesus. Jesus comes in humility, riding on a donkey, yet he has the audacity to accept the praises of the crowd. He riots and flips tables over in the most sacred place in Jerusalem, the largest sacred space of worship in the world. Jesus walks in there and stirs a riot in that place, and yet he is gentle enough for the lame and the blind to come and want to get healing from him. Who is this guy? He is humble yet worthy of the highest praise. He disrupts and shakes up our life, but he heals. He unsettles us. And yet he offers true peace. He is a wild man, and yet he is the most gentle. This is Jesus in God's character and the seemingly contradictory aspects of God's incredible nature are harmonized and bound up this paradox living, breathing in the body of Jesus. John, trying to wrap his mind around this person, writes in, in John chapter one, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. What is that glory? The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. God is neither grace nor truth. He is both. And when Jesus comes to rule and reign in our life, we have to come to terms with the grace of God and the truth of God, the gentleness of Jesus and his strength. He both invites us and he challenges us. He both gives us a light and easy yoke and yet he calls us to come and die with him. He gives us eternal life but promises us that we are gonna have to die to find that life. This is Jesus and for him to reign in your life, you have to embrace both his gentleness and his strength. And this is his glory. He is not a flat, one-dimensional Jesus. He's three-dimensional. He is so complex. And like I said, paradoxes are exciting, but they can be kind of intimidating and threatening because it's not always what we expect. Let's get into this. The first side of Jesus, the gentleness, verse four to five. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, but gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus rides in on a donkey um, to communicate something about God's character to all of us. It's showing us something about God's nature as he comes to us. He doesn't come in on a war horse in this moment. He doesn't roll in in the most important moment of his life at the peak of his popularity in an extended Cadillac SUV limo with tinted windows and his posse, his entourage. He comes in riding on a donkey. See, 
150 years earlier, another revolutionary rode into Jerusalem to cleanse the temple just like Jesus. His name was Judas Maccabeus. And he had delivered the Israelites from another empire that had been ruling over them. This guy, unlike Jesus, was more like a Braveheart. If you've seen Braveheart, you know Judas Maccabeus. This guy had led an incredible, surprising revolt that had overthrown the Seleucid Empire. And he was marching into Jerusalem to to cleanse the temple. His name, Judas Maccabeus, was actually given to him. Maccabeus was a nickname, and it meant the hammer, because he was a hammer of a warrior, and through his military conquest had delivered Israel, and that is what they were expecting and hoping for in Jesus. David was a warrior. Do you remember Goliath? But Jesus comes in on a donkey. See, when you want God to show up in power and strength to speak to you clearly, loudly, God, I need to hear from you. And he shows up in a gentle whisper. It's not always what we want. And yet this is how Jesus presents himself. Why? It shows us that when God comes into our life, he prefers to come to us in a gentle way. He prefers to reveal himself in gentle and gracious ways. Listen to Matthew 5.45. He writes, this is what God does. He gives his best. Everyone say best. Best. We're going to talk about what his best is in a second, but he's hinting at it here. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish. Not just believers, not people who are righteous, not even just people who are good, both murderers and non-murderers, both people who evade their taxes and people who pay their taxes, people who are honest and dishonest. Everyone can walk outside today and feel the warmth of the sun on their back. Everyone, regardless the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty, receive of God's grace and goodness through the setting sun. Have you ever seen the setting sun on the coast here? Have you ever gone to the coast and seen the setting sun? You know what I love to look at even more than the sun sometimes? I love like when the sun is about to set, I love to look to my right and my left and see all the people doing the same thing. And I just look and I just see all these people like this, waiting with bated breath. And I just see in that the hardwired spiritual DNA of a human being longing for the glory of God. Looking to that, yeah, it's beautiful, but it is just a hint of God's glory that is coming. Because in that sunset, God is revealing his goodness, his grace in a gentle way. It's not demonstrative. It's not like every saying, son, I'm real. Believe in me. You know, it's not like that. Can you imagine? That would be kind of weird. But that'd be kind of cool. Like, don't you wish sometimes God would just shout to people in our life, I'm real. Other people, you know, you. I just wish God would just show up and go, I'm here. You know, then they would believe. But God is so gentle. And it's through the rain and the sun and the touch of a friend, the encouragement of a loved one, that God reveals his love and his goodness to us. Jesus comes riding in on a donkey, and a donkey is a foolish thing. See, if you think that's kind of absurd to ride in on a donkey and it's kind of a bit ridiculous. Well, it was. To ride in a donkey was not a bold statement. You know, like, yeah, look at me on the donkey. One mile an hour, you know, come, come. But it's really interesting that, you know, Jeff Moore put it this way when we were talking. He said, it shows that God is not afraid and God loves to use the foolish things of the world to accomplish his purposes. 
And I think that's so beautiful because it reminds us that God, how Jesus condescended himself to take on human flesh to reveal himself to humanity, not in a booming voice from the heavens, but in flesh and blood to say, hey, I hunger like you. I thirst. I sleep. I laugh. I feel pain like you. That is God. Isn't that beautiful? In verse 14, we also see the gentleness of God in the, in when Jesus heals people. Look at verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. Jesus comes in gentleness to us because he knows you and I are broken. He knows your brokenness. He knows the pain in your life. I mean, you look around and man, you just see a lot of good looking people. I mean, look at this woman right here. She is just beautiful. This is my wife. Of course, she's beautiful to me. (laughs) Yeah, that was free right there. (laughs) But, you know, we look around at each other, and you would know. You go, everyone looks like they got it together, you know. But deep in, God sees your pain. He sees the places where you are stressed. There are things in your life that you feel like you can't get control of. The broken tension in your marriage, your fears about your children, your worries about your finances, and your concern about finding a new job. He, he knows those things. And it says in Scripture, a bruised reed God will not break. He comes to us gently because he knows we need healing. Jesus doesn't come to conquer us like some crazy hammer warrior. He comes to heal and make us whole. And it's that gentleness that creates this safe place of invitation for us to approach God. Look at what Matthew says. Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You know what? I think we need, let's read this together. This is such a great verse. We went through this at the men's retreat recently. I spent the whole weekend on this. We got to read this together. Ready? Repeat after me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy my burden is light. This is God. Gentle and humble. Have you ever had God reveal himself to you in a gentle way? I remember I was under such a heavy weight at this time in my life. I felt literally someone saw me and said, I didn't even know this person. They said, you look like you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. And I, I felt like it. I went out to a park by my apartment that I was living at just to get some time to pray and just call out to God. It was late at night. I'm alone in this park. And I can feel just that pressure inside. I'm just crying out to God. And as I'm praying, this gentle breeze just kind of blows through the park. And this tree next to me, the leaves just start rustling in the breeze. I can't tell you why. I mean, this happens every day. It's happening today. I'm sure we'll hear trees rustling in the breeze today. For some reason in this moment, I felt God's presence. It was like that moment God said, I'm here. His invisible presence gently manifesting through that little breeze. I know it maybe even sounds hallmarky, cheesy, 
But I felt this weight. But I felt this presence alongside me. And I knew in that moment I wasn't alone in that park. This other side of God is, you know, the paradox. And this is the paradox of Palm Sunday and the kingdom of God. And we have to understand that there's a that within God there's this paradox because though he is gentle and humble, that does not mean that our king is weak and that he's soft. And we need to understand that about him because if you're going to meet God and get to know him, you need to be prepared for both sides. Let's go to verse 12. Jesus entered the temple courts, drove out all who were buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Jesus just raises havoc. He turns the whole scene upside down. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine coming into church and all of a sudden I just start throwing junk in these iPads and I start smashing them and I just grab this table and I throw it across the room and we start throwing tables over I don't, th- I, I don't think we would see half the room next week. It'd be like, yeah, maybe that's not the church for me. <laughs> Some of us would be like, yes, why? it's about time. Church got fired up. I, I, I think, you know, I can imagine the people that are praising Jesus, you know, like, yeah, the king, he raises the dead. This guy is so awesome. Whoa. You know, like, whoa, wait a second. I can just imagine the crowd being super excited and then freaking out. Whoa, whoa. You know what I mean about God? Like, do you ever have those times in your life when you are reading the Bible and you're like, what? What did he do? Like when Uzzah, if you remember in the Old Testament, touched the ark because it was about to fall and God struck him dead. Or this idea that apart from Jesus, there is no eternal life. And that apart from God's forgiveness, we spend eternity separated from him. Now you hear about this stuff and you're like, really, God? Are you, is that really you? Because I feel like right now I'm more loving than you. I would never allow someone to go to hell. There's this side of God that kind of scares us, if we're honest. And we don't understand, and we need to understand this moment why he's getting angry because Jesus is not having a temper tantrum and he's not hangry. This is a moment where he's really trying to reveal something so important about God's heart to you so you know how to receive him as king of your life. You ready for this? Listen, his grievance is twofold. Number one thing first that Jesus is upset about, let's go to the next slide. Jesus is so jealous and passionate that people have access to his father. He is so committed to it that he came down to die to open up the widest path possible to his father. And we'll see how so in a minute. He's so consumed with zeal about it that he was murdered for it because he was willing to have dinner with tax collectors and prostitutes and the religious leaders criticized him for his association. His heart for the entire world to find their way to the Father was so important to him. He was willing to be misunderstood. He was willing to be threatened. He was willing to be killed and rejected. So it's not about religious etiquette that he's upset about. He's not like, oh, were you just eating with your mouth open in the temple? Boom, I'm going to give you the skewer. 
when I was a young kid, my mom used to have this uh, shish kebab skewer. And if we ever put our elbows on the table, she'd go, bam, she'd just, yeah, mom. <laughs> you know, so if I come to your house, you will notice I do not put my elbows on your table and I eat with my mouth closed. <laughs> but that is not, and I'm thankful she did that. I'm thankful. So kids, you know, hey, look, mind your manners. <laughs> Nobody wants to see your food. But that is not what Jesus is upset about. He's not upset about people not following religious etiquette. See, watch. When he comes in and clears the temple, it's in this big, see that big open space up there? Right up, you know, up in this area? That's the court of the Gentiles. This whole thing is the temple space. This whole thing is sacred space. This is a 500 by 378 yard structure, the largest in the world. And that empty space is the Gentile court, and it is for the world to find its place with God. Listen to this scripture. It says in the scriptures in Isaiah, God says, for, or for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And he says, for the foreigner and the eunuch, my house is a place for the foreigner, the immigrant, the lost, the marginalized, the people who don't belong to have a place here for all nations, all races. So this court was to be this crazy, it's like going to New York City or London. If you've ever been in New York City or London, it's like the whole world is there. The first time I was in London, I was walking through the Soho district. It's like you hear a thousand languages all around you. That was what the court of the Gentiles was meant to be, a place for the world to find their way back to God. But when Jesus walks in there, they're selling stuff, and they're doing this stuff that's distracting people from what that sacred space was for. He didn't have a problem with selling the animals for the sacrifices. That was something that needed to be done, but it belonged out here. And when our sacred space for God gets crowded with ordinary common things and God gets crowded out, even by good things, we lose our sense of purpose. Secondly, inflated prices. There was a 4 to 8% interest on the exchange rate when people would come to pay their temple tax once a year. And so um, they would come here for the monetary exchange. Like if you were to go to Mexico, you would turn in your dollars for pesos, right? Pesos, right? Got me? <laughs> These guys were overcharging people and the religious leaders were taking a share of that profiteering. And so Jesus is like, not only are they distracting people and crowding the sacred space so people can't pray and meet with God, they're ripping people off and taking advantage of people. Now you got it? The temple was meant to be the intersection of heaven and earth where the world would find its way back to God, but it has lost its purpose. And when God comes into our life, to restore God's purpose to our life, to restore us to his purposes, it's going to create a crisis in your life. And you've got to understand that and you've got to be prepared for that. He will use crises in your life that he didn't generate for his purpose to upend you, to turn you upside down, to get, to shake you up, to create a space in your life to turn your heart and go, God, I need to trust you again. 
Sometimes it's when we move and we go through a radical change. Sometimes it's some health condition. Things in our life that not necessarily that God created, but things that God uses to get our attention, to shake up our life, to get our eyes back on him where we become complacent. But sometimes God has to get into our life and he stirs our life. He is the one who flips the tables up. Because listen to what Paul writes in Romans. Eugene Peterson translates this right when he writes, or did you think that because he's such a nice God, he'd let you off the hook? When we lose our sense of purpose with God and we get distracted, God shows up in our life to get us back on course. Better think this one through from the beginning. God is kind, but he is not soft. In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and he leads us into radical life change. Radical life change, you guys. That's what this whole week is about. That's what Palm Sunday is about. That's what Holy Week, that's what the cross is about. It is about the extent to which God was willing to uproot his own life, flip his own life upside down, come down from heaven to earth to die for us so that we could experience a radical life change. And that is not just like a give us a couple self-help tips, give us a few cool life hacks. This is to change our life radically from the ground up, to go into the sacred places of your life, to align it with God's purposes. And you guys, when God wants to get into our sacred space, it's not easy. It's not easy to let God stir us up. When Jesus shows up into the town in verse 10, it says the whole city was stirred, as Jeff Moore was saying. That's the word for seismic. And when God comes into our life, he comes gently to love us, but he also comes to shake you up. And if Jesus is going to be king of your life, look at me, look, look right here, look here. You have to be prepared for that shaking. And you have to let him shake you up a little. Because you know why we... We like have these self-made purposes in our life and we cling to them. And when Jesus comes to restore the Father's purpose to our life, we already have our own purposes that we cling to. No, 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 God. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. I don't want to let this go. This was so good. This is working for me. And he's like, that looks kind of awkward for you. No, no, this is awesome. And you're walking around with your self-made purpose and you're just like, I got my purpose, God. I just need to raise my kids. That's it. He's like, oh, it's bigger. Don't get me wrong. Raising your kids well and loving them is so crucial. But even your kids and your family is a part of a bigger purpose than just going to school and getting that trophy on your new sports team. Those are good things, but we're part of a bigger purpose. But when our kids become our purpose, when our careers become our purpose, when our graves become our purpose, when that becomes our purpose, these good things, we are crowding sacred space with unholy things. And God is trying to draw us near to us. And we're trying to get near to God, but we've got our own purpose in the way. Oh, I'm trying to get to you, Jesus, but... eh. And then we got this awkward thing between us. Yeah. <laughs> the worship team's going to hate me. <laughs> Letting go of these purposes, sometimes our purpose is in our boyfriend or girlfriend. It's in stuff that's good, but letting it go is hard. 
And it's hard. It's hard to trust in the goodness and the gentleness and the grace of God when he is upending and overturning the tables of your self-made purpose because it's so personal. Listen, it's not practical. It's, not, it's more practical to make as much money as you can in that sacred space. Don't you agree? We got to make all the money we can. That's practical. It's not practical to clear all that usable space for prayer. How practical is prayer, really? What really gets done when you sit for 20 minutes alone in a room praying? Let's be honest. Nothing. Yes, it is everything, but doesn't it feel like nothing? It's hard. Man, it's just so much easier to return some more emails. But when we lose our purpose, God is so good and he comes to us to turn our lives upside down, not because he wants to just humble us and put us in our little place. That's not the heart of God. He does it to save you. To save you because you know what? The purpose that you're clinging to is not big enough. You are made in God's image. You're a son of God. And there's a little purpose that you've made for yourself is second or third. And when he comes in, he's not afraid to throw that out because he knows the glory that you were made for and he will put everything on the line, including his own life, to restore that purpose to your life. And it's not just for your sake, it's for the world because through you, the world was meant to find their way back to God. And that is a radical idea. Listen to what Jesus says here. Jesus said, for the son of man came to find and restore the lost. He came to fulfill what the temple failed to do. The whole world was supposed to go to this place in this obscure little backcountry place called Jerusalem and find God. And Jesus is like, forget it, I got a better plan. I'm sending the temple to the world. And when he came and died and rose from the dead, he made it so that his spirit, what was hidden deep in the holy of holies, would take residence in your life. Not just so that you would be healed, because he wants that, he's gentle and he wants you to be healed, but so that the world doesn't have to come to the temple, the temple is going to the world. And that's you, that's you. You are the temple of God and the presence of God in you is so the world can find their way back to God through you. I want to invite the band to come on out. No, I know, I know, trust me, I know. I, my, you know, I know how busy our lives are. Look, I have, my, day, my moonlight job is Uber driver by night. And I spend four hours, you know, my wife and I driving our kids to soccer practice, to young life, to wildlife, to friends' houses, to picking them up from track. And dude, I know, it's busy. I'm preaching to the choir, but I'm talking about stuff that I know you feel because I live it too. We're so crowded and it feels like a burden when God wants to bring his purpose into your life because you've already got one and carrying God's purpose and yours is not going to work, which is why Jesus said, you will either hate one and love the other or despise one and embrace the other. But as we go into this song, I want to just share this image with you. God's privilege that he came to give to you, to bestow on you through his blood. He came to the temple to rock us it up for is a privilege. Imagine if someone 
was a billionaire, and they knew they were going to die within a couple of months, and they're, they're about to die, but you know what? They have no family to give their money to. They want to give it out to the world. They don't want to die with all that money sitting in their accounts, so they just pick you at random. This person comes up and says, you know what? I have a million dollars, and your job is to hand out that million. What's your name right there, right there in the corner? Yeah, yours. Barbara? Barbara. Imagine Barbara, he grabs you and he's like, I want to give you a million bucks. And your job, your mission this year is to give away $1 million. I want you to think right now for a second how that would affect your day at work tomorrow. Imagine going to work tomorrow knowing you have a million dollars in a bag and you get to give that out. What would that do to your day? Can you imagine just like, oh, that person, am I going to give them 10000 or 20000 Oh man, I can't wait to just give them this. Wouldn't that just blow your mind? I remember one time when we had been praying for a house. God, gave, through a lot of different people's generosity, was starting to give us money to buy a home. And I, we felt like God was calling us to tithe, tithe a portion of that money that had been given to us and give it away. And at first I was really tight and bound up about it. It took me a year to finally decide we were going to do this. We were stressed about it. And then I started changing my perspective. I started thinking, wait a minute. How awesome is it going to be to give this money to somebody? And I started getting excited because it was going to be the most money I had ever given to anybody. And when we gave that gift, it was so awesome. I wasn't feeling burdened by it. I felt like, man, God, thank you for letting me be a part. And that family with that money was able to buy a home. And I was just like, man, God, I got to be a little part of that. Jesus said this, and let's go into this song. He said, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. The greatest paradox of all is the cross. And this moment in Palm Sunday, this paradoxical moment is meant to prepare us in the world for the coming paradox of the cross itself where life and death come together, mercy and judgment, humiliation and glory. One man for the whole world, human, divine. And you find it right here in this moment of human history, in this one moment, all of eternity is changed and cha transformed. The cross is where Jesus took on himself in flesh the consequence of all of humanity's sin the consequence of having rejected our life purpose of being in relationship with God to live for our own purposes apart from God there's a consequence when we live outside of our purpose when a husband isn't faithful to his wife or a parent isn't faithful to their child, there's a consequence when our relationships, when there's a breakdown in the fundamental purpose of our relationships. When a politician doesn't honor their promise, when a pastor, when a pastor doesn't stay true to their vocation and their calling, when humanity, when a human being loses touch with their relationship with their creator. And Jesus bore the consequence of that on the cross 
to restore us to relationship with him. Mercy and judgment. On the cross, Jesus bore the full freight and weight of our judgment for us so that you and I, out of his gentle and gracious heart, could be restored to relationship with him. That is the gentleness of God. Stripped naked, hanging naked, beaten, rejected, crucified. The strength, the challenge of the cross is the cross is an outward sign of your spiritual condition. On Jesus' body, he is a mirror of your spiritual condition apart from God. His beaten, bruised, bloodied body is your soul. And your soul is so weary and so beat up without your Father's love. But when you turn your heart to your Father and you say, Jesus, forgive me. I want to let you be king of my life. A miracle happens. God comes not into a temple, but into your body, into your life. And he takes residence there. Would you like that? This church, we're not here to make money. We're not here to fill every seat. We want to have seats so that as many people as possible can find their way back to God. That's what this church is for. This church, this building, this worship team, this message, every person around, we are here so you can find your way back to God. This is your time of visitation. Do you want to let God in? If that's you, I want to invite you, whatever you're saying, just to raise your hand. And as you humble yourself and admit you need God in your life, as you raise your hand and admit your need for God, God is going to glorify you and lift you up with his love. By raising your hand, you are just humbling yourself, acknowledging, God, I need you. I want to let you be king of my life. And if that's you, just raise your hand wherever you're sitting. I see you. I see you. I see you, bro. I see you. I see you. I see you too right here. Come on. I see you. I see you. I see you in the back. I see you. I see you there. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you next to her. I see you, brother, in the red. I see you in the back. I see you. There's sunglasses in your head. I see you. I see you. When I say I see you, I'm just a sign, like a setting sun. I'm just a sign that God sees you. I see you. I see you right here in the front. If you raise your hand, won't you just put your hands out like this and pray a simple prayer with me right now? Let's pray. Because this is a house of prayer. And we are here to meet with God. Put your hands out just like this as a sign of God. I want to be filled with you and receive you as my king. Put your hands out and repeat this prayer after me. Ready? Say these words. Lord Jesus. Say it again. Say it out loud. Lord Jesus, I accept you as my king. I accept your grace and gentleness. You died for me. I accept your strength and conviction. I can't live without you. And I need forgiveness. My life was made for a bigger purpose. My life was made for you. Restore me to my life purpose. To know you. To serve you. All the days of my life. And I bless you who are praying that prayer in Jesus' name. May God's love right now just come into your heart. 
Let's just take a moment of silence. I just want to pray. God, let's just all just pray right now that these dear ones would just have an encounter with God this morning. Let's pray. This is to be a house of prayer. And if there are prayers that you need to pray because God through you has put a burden on your heart to bring heaven to earth in some place in your life and you need to cry out a prayer, I want to encourage you right now, just pray out that prayer right now, out loud. This is a house of prayer. And you want to pray that out loud, go for it. Just shout out a prayer to the Lord. And don't worry about praying over each other. Let's just pray out loud. Just lift up your prayers. Lift up your prayers to God. Just have the courage to lift your voice to God right now. Let's just come here and do what we came to do. We didn't come here to listen to a preacher. We came here to meet with God. And if you've got a prayer in your heart for someone, some place that God wants to bring his loving touch to, then lift that prayer right now. Lift it up to God. Cry it out to the Lord. Cry out God's blessing on their life. Where has God anointed you to bring his presence? Where are you the temple of God? In your office, on your team? Bring that prayer right now. Let's just pray it out loud. Come on. Father, we pray that this would be a house of prayer. Pray that this church would be a place for people to find their way back to God. And God, if there are people in our community that are not welcome here, would you open our hearts? Would you overturn the tables of our lives so that more people can find their way into this building and find your love? We pray that as you send us out into offices, into teams, into our neighborhoods, that God, you would use us to be your living presence to help people find their way back to you. I bless you in Jesus' name. May God use you through your words, your prayers, and your actions to be a gateway to God's presence. In Jesus' name, I bless you. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good week. Welcome to Holy Week. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.